Well, in case you haven't uh, figured it out yet, today's presentation is on religious liberty. Um, before I start, I want to I, I ask the Lord to, for his blessings on, on this message this morning. Father in heaven, I pray that this morning that we'll, we will be provided the guidance of your Holy Spirit, that the message is not my message. That, that although I've done the research and put it together, there's a lot to be said here, and only some of it can be stated. I would just pray that you guide me and in the direction that you would have me go, and the words that I say will make the right impression on your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start with a, with a story about a Seventh-day Adventist pastor in Pakistan. This is a story that's been around. We probably have talked about it before. His name is, uh, let me just make sure I got it, it's Sajid Masagil. Uh, he was arrested for violating Pakistan's law on blasphemy. Uh, something he didn't do. Somebody had actually set him up. Uh, it was supposedly a text message that was sent from his phone to some uh, Al-Qaeda group, uh, reported the blasphemy, the defamation of, of the prophet Muhammad. Uh, somebody had actually purchased a phone in his name, set up an account in his name, and sent that message. Pastor Gill was put on trial for, for violating this, uh, this law. He, uh, during the trial, the evidence presented actually proved his innocence. The, the, the person who actually set him up and, and accused him recanted on that testimony, but nonetheless, he's convicted. And at age 28, he was sentenced to life in prison, basically for nothing other than being a Christian. John uh, Graz, who at that time was the director of our Religious Liberty uh, Outreach, Adventist World Church Outreach, said at the time that it was a horrible thing and that they're working to, to free the, the pastor, but that this is not unusual. This is happening around the world to Christians and specifically in, in the Muslim nations. And that is true. Uh, and something I don't see reported a lot in the news is the extreme genocide of Christians all over the world. Uh, Christians are being uh, slaughtered at a record number. More Christians are being killed and executed than at any time in human history. And if you can think back through human history and the atrocities that have taken place, they're taking place today against Christians. Christians are being put to death or to life imprisonment for nothing more than being Christians. Uh, that's on a magnitude that, that's frightening. And it, you say, well, it's not happening here. Well, one thing I can say is, of course, it's not happening here. It, it's going to. Uh, there is a human uh, ability to, to do these atrocities, and certainly there's going to come a point where the need to do that here is going to occur. We don't know when that is, but it's uh, not something that can't happen here. Okay? It can't happen here. But what's going on here, too, is, is uh, alarming. There is a... Uh, chipping away, a creeping uh, deterioration of our religious freedoms here in this country. We hear about it all the time. Uh, people are, you know, being denied their First Amendment rights, their religious liberty rights, uh, for, uh, by, not, by having and being forced under uh, prosecution and civil or even criminal prosecution for not, uh, you know, giving money in support of abortions against their fundamental beliefs, their moral beliefs. Uh, being forced to cater to uh, uh, 
to same-sex marriages, uh, photographers and, and cake makers, we hear about this all the time, are being forced against their fundamental religious beliefs to partake in these, in these things uh, by law, by threat of persecution. So you, you see this deterioration going on here uh, today that, that is causing concern. What it's really causing, though, and this is something we have to be aware of, and this is what we have to watch out for, what it's really causing in this country is a reaction to what is called the war on Christianity, a reaction by the Chris, Christian community generally uh, to seek a solution to this problem, a solution that would come in the form of government action. They're seeking a political solution to the problem of being denied their religious freedoms. Uh, they are unifying in, in great numbers. And, and an example of that is, we, we talked about this before, 1994, there was a, uh, <clears throat> there, there was a coming together of Christians uh, at that time, we talked about it, and it was the, it was, I'm looking for the name right now, it's basically they entered into a declaration, a statement about their, their unity, and it was called, and this is interesting, and this is, I think, telling, Evangelicals and Catholics Together, the Christian Mission in the Third Millennium, the Christian Mission in the Third Millennium, a unifying of beliefs and doctrines to, to advance a particular religious belief. Uh, <clears throat> Today, if you look at what, what happened since 1994, we've sort of been watching it, but not really paying attention to it, because if you look around today, there is now a Christian movement. We call it the ecumenical movement, the ecumenical Christian movement that has grown significantly, substantially. Uh, if you look at the World Council of Churches and the membership list there of the churches that, that have joined out, most of them are part of this this evangelical movement, there's something in the area of, and I have a number here, in the area of 400, or about 400 different churches worldwide that belong to this movement, representing a congregation, a membership of, of about a half billion people. Now, they use this as a resource. They, this coming together is, is a magnificent resource to do good in the world, and they do. They build hospitals. They feed the hungry. They respond to, to disasters, and, and they do good. You can't criticize them for that. In some ways, they're sort of consistent with our moral values on the world stage, and that's the problem, is that within their agenda is a political motive. Right? They have a, a political agenda that uh, I think would be summed up if we look at some of the comments by their leaders on television, on radio. They, uh, you see them in the news. And, and one that comes to mind is a, is a recent interview with um, the former presidential candidate, Pat Robertson. He was being interviewed uh, about pending legislation, legislation that he was sponsoring that would require prayer in public school. And the question that was asked, and this is what is concerning, that former presidential candidate, okay, a, a powerful political figure, was asked with respect to this prayer in schools, in public schools, whether or not this applied to everyone in the school. But, and, and the questioner said, would this apply to Muslim students as well? And his response, oh no, this is Christian prayer only. Advancing legislation, okay, the power of the government to ensure that Christians can pray in, in public school. That is a Christian-motivated 
government act, okay, for Christians. Uh, another, I, I think, another even uh, more telling, uh, uh, you know, part of this agenda, something that I think is really more concerning, is, is that they are actually, to, to advance this, uh, this whole political agenda and, and, you know, Christian agenda, is that they're really having to rewrite history. They're really going to have to reinterpret what the Constitution says in order to do that. And, I, and I re, I'm going to refer to a, a statement by, again, former senatorial candidate. You see, powerful you know, political leaders are part of this. And um, it, it, more than you would think, okay? Powerful political leaders, and, and just to, to name a few, I won't do that right now, but we can get to that at some point. Uh, I would say that this, there is so much to this topic of religious liberty, and so much is happening in the world today, that I think, and I've spoken to a uh, pastor about this, that we need to have some ongoing uh, process, an ongoing, uh, maybe a Vespers meeting from time to time to talk about these issues, and talk about these issues of concern that, that may not be quite appropriate for you know, the pulpit, but something we need to talk about and, and really be uh, aware of. And, and that awareness, I think, is, is really important. Former senatorial candidate Alan Keyes um, was standing on a, the courthouse steps in Alabama. There he was arguing for the Ten Commandments being posted on the wall. That was, there was a lot going on about that. You know, they made a big deal out of the Ten Commandments being taken out of the courthouse as a, as a significant denial of their religious liberty. Now, however you feel about that, it really doesn't matter. The words of former senator, or what was it? Uh, he, he was trying to become senator, but he didn't really get elected. But uh, Alan Keyes, we all know who he is. He's a really dynamic speaker. He's had an audience there of probably three or 400 people. He's on the, on the courthouse steps. And the, the news clip of what he was saying, and he had the crowd going, and they were, you know, praising him on. And a statement that he made, it kind of, it, was, it floored me. What he said was, to this, you know, listening audience, to this audience that was soaking up everything that he was saying, he said, nowhere in the Constitution is it mentioned that there is a separation of church and state. Right? He knows better than this. Okay. And while specifically the words separation of church and state are not used in the Constitution, uh, it's clear from the words that are used that the, those who wrote, those who drafted the document, clearly wanted a separation of church and state. What I've done here, I move this. Okay, uh, I'll read that. Congress, this is the First Amendment. By the way, the First Amendment to the Bill of Rights, the first, okay, number one, the first line in that First Amendment is this. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Uh, you don't have to say separation of church and state. The legal language that they're using here is that there can't be, there shall not be an establishment by the government of a, of a state-sponsored religion. Establishment of a religion. It's in the Constitution. Uh, what Alan Keyes is doing is he's trying to reinterpret what's being said in the Constitution, and it's sort of a petty argument, but it's one that the crowd that was there that day cheered loudly. It was frightening. They're buying into this, okay? Nowhere in the Constitution is, it, is the actual word separation of church and state written, but the intent of the drafters and the specific definition of the religious freedom issue is stated right there at the very beginning of the Bill of Rights. No establishment 
of, of a Christian government. And I was reading in, in preparing here was that the most recent issue of Liberty Magazine that came with our package for the Religious Liberty Campaign, and I was thumbing through it, and I came across a compelling article, a well-written, well-documented, supported article entitled, let's see if I can find it, it is entitled Justifying Liberty. This is an article that is written with, uh, you know, a scholarly article written with legal support, uh, historical support, uh, one that, you know, through our religious liberty efforts, through, through our religious liberty work that we do as a church, uh, legislators around the country, judges, um, and other influential people will receive this. We will send this uh, particular publication to them, and it is a respected publication. And in here is a, a clear discussion about the issue of separation of church and state. It says, and, and they're quoting something from a document that was written by, by uh, James Madison, one of the founding fathers. What were his feelings about the separation of church and state? It says here, talking about a document that he has written that says this document remains the single greatest justification for religious liberty in American history. The logic contained within the document is unassailable. Madison's arguments are persuasive and eloquent. He steadfastly maintained that the way a person chooses to worship God was a matter of personal conscience and could not be directed only by and could be directed only by reason and, and conscience. And the article goes on, making some other compelling arguments, and it gets to some words that Thomas Jefferson used. Uh, quoting, uh, it, it, quoting the article, talking about Ch Thomas Jefferson's notes on the state of Virginia, where he claims that a person's religious beliefs were wholly outside of the public forum. I mean, the, the, those who wrote the Constitution firmly believed in the separation of church and state. And so what's happening is, is that uh, the agenda of, of a majority of Christians in this country, the agenda is to establish and reinterpret the Constitution that it actually is a Christian document, that it does allow and support uh, you know, the, the combining of, of the power of the state with, with the dogma of the church. They're, they're doing that with this reinterpretation, but they're also slipping in there. And what is very convincing to a lot of people, um, people aren't really paying attention, but it, there's a persuasive argument in there. If you look at history of this country going back to the, the colonies, the Puritans who came here actually did in some instances set up, set up colonies that were religious governments, okay? They had escaped from horrible religious persecution they had come to, to practice the religion without any interference, and they were afraid of that ever happening again. And when they created the colonies, they wanted that protection. They wanted their basic religion to be enforced in their colony. But by the time the Constitution has, has come around, probably because of the horrible experience in Europe and the horrible experience in the colonies, uh, the drafters of the Constitution, as we read, were clearly against government uh, sponsoring any form of religion. So the history is clear, uh, the, the interpretation of the Constitution itself is clear, and yet the agenda goes on trying to reinterpret history. In order for them to advance this doctrine of a, of a, a state uh, government coalition is, is to really rewrite, deny history, reinterpret the Constitution, and to redefine what we mean by religious liberty redefine the, the, the entire issue of religious liberty, the, the entire gift that God has given us of our religious liberty, freedom of conscience, our free will, 
is, is to redefine what that means. Essentially, what they're saying, if you listen carefully, they're telling us that religious liberty means that whatever the law is that the state grants us. That's why they're so into the Constitution. To them, the constitutional guarantees amount to religious liberty. As long as they have those guarantees handed down by the government, they have the liberty that they want. This is wrong. This isn't the right interpretation of, of what religious liberty is. Religious liberty, as we know, is a gift from God. Only God can give us that. Not a state. God only. And, and I think I want to turn uh, to Matthew 28. We can sort of get a sense of what our position should be on religious freedom, on religious liberty. We're looking there at Matthew 28 at the words that uh, Jesus is giving to his disciples as he's ascending to heaven. Last words, instructions on what to do. Matthew, uh, yes, 28:18. It says here, "Go forth and teach the nations. Go forth." It says Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All the authority." Then it goes on. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Uh, it says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Here I am with all power, and I'm telling, he's telling, he, there he is, with all power that there is, telling his disciples to not go out and force people to believe, not, not convert people through force or, or uh, you know, threat, but to teach them. Go forth and teach. Okay? No force there. I mean, God's, own, I mean, God's own instructions to his disciples through Jesus was to go forth and, and teach people. Then they will be able to exercise their free will, their freedom of conscience to either choose God or not choose God. That's the way. Okay? Uh, there is a painting that I want to, so if you can bring that up, it's a, uh, by a Warren Solomon. Yes, there it is. It's called... Um, Christ at, at Heart's Door. That's the name of the painting. This painting was in where I grew up in my childhood home, hanging on the wall. I believe it was in the hallway. I think one time my mom put it in my bedroom for some reason, trying to maybe encourage me to look at it more. But I did, and, I looked, and it, was, it meant a lot to me. This painting sort of means a lot to me. Just from the standpoint as a you know, child growing up, I saw this as any time you need Jesus, he's going to be there for you. All you have to do is reach out. Jesus is there. He's always there, knocking on the door, asking gently if he can come in. But now as I look at it, I see the example, a prime example of religious freedom, of freedom of conscience, because there he is knocking, not beating the door down, okay? not coming in by force, knocking and, and asking gently if he can come in. And you, you have a choice to open the door or not. There's a little window, I guess, there. You can look out and see who's there. And if it's Jesus and you don't want to have Jesus come in, you slam that door. You don't have to open it. It's your choice. That's freedom of religion. Okay? That's the essence of it. That's something I just noted, and I don't know if it's there on this one, but the pictures that I've seen, there's the bush is kind of covering it up, but I don't think there's a doorknob there. There's no doorknob, is there? Okay, good. Meaning, Jesus isn't going to come in. Jesus doesn't have the, the instrumentality, the ability to come in anyway without breaking the door down. And that's not going to happen. That's religious freedom. That's religious liberty. I mean, just keep that in your heart. Because all you have to do, if you want Jesus to come in, open the door. You have the ability. It's up to you. You don't have to. You can open it and slam it. A lot of people do that. That's their choice. That's the freedom that they have. No government is going to enforce that. No government can come close to what that is. True religious freedom 
is what God has given us. That's the gift we have from God. <clears throat> and true religious freedom is really at the, at the foundation of the Bible. It, it is a, a, at the very root of what we believe, the root of what we're taught from the Bible from the very beginning. Um, I'm going to go back to uh, when Moses was uh, summoned by God to uh, go forth and into Egypt to Pharaoh and, and have his, his people set free. Well, one of the things that Moses was concerned about, you see, Moses had experience with these people. He had a history there, and it wasn't so good. He says, when I, if I do this, they're going to ask me, what's my authority? What are, what's my credibility here? What shall I tell them? Who shall I say sent me? And God said, you, you tell them that I am Yahweh who has sent you. Definition, the one who is everlasting, eternal, the one who is without border or boundary, limitless. Okay? The, the essence, the epitome of freedom. He's saying, freedom has sent you. Sent you to set his people free. And so, moving forward a little bit, without going through all the detail, Moses does. Moses confronts Pharaoh, and after ten plagues, eventually, God's people are set free. Now, three months later, the people rendezvous with God at Mount Sinai. And there they receive a gift. And like at one way of looking at the, the Ten Commandments, the, you know, the, uh, the commitment that God has made with his people. I'm not going to read the verse, but the, the Exodus 20 starts out with, I have set you free, I've set you out of bondage to come here and receive this commitment, to receive these promises. So it begins by being about freedom. And I would, I think, sort of interpret this to mean that the commandments that are given here are are not really a list of laws and rules that you have to comply with, but a list of a, a guidance for you uh, to, to follow in order to remain free, to stay within that realm of freedom. Now, just an example, as I'm looking at it, 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 it's almost as though God is saying, I have liberated you, I brought you out of Egypt, and now if you want to stay free, uh, don't have any other gods. You, you won't be free if you do. Don't, uh, you know, carve out graven images to worship. It's way below your dignity, and it's going to come between us. It's going to prevent you from having that freedom that you'll only have through God. Don't uh, take my name in vain. <clears throat> it's obvious. It's a cert certainly going to separate you from, from, God's, from God, uh, fr God's freedom. But uh, going on, it, it's uh, getting to the fourth, the centerpiece of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath. Uh, there, clearly, the Sabbath is talking about a day to, uh, to rest, commemorating the creation, commemorating the creator, uh, the one who created all of heaven and earth and all that there is. Uh, but in there, in Deuteronomy 5, within this idea of Sabbath itself is a basis for you know, commemorating the Sabbath. It says, and remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. And it goes on. I don't, what's the... Is, you know, Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So it's, Deuteronomy says that the Sabbath day is a commemoration of the, you know, the strong arm bringing you out, the strength of, of, of the power of God bringing you out of slavery and bondage. And then... It, 
giving you the Sabbath day and commanding you to keep it as a commemoration of that freedom that you were given. So, and, and the other commandments you can go through and, and, and just read within, with the mindset that what you are given here is a, a list of promises. That if you, you know, if you keep these, if you, uh, you know, pay attention to these, that you will have access, that direct access to God. <clears throat> and that's pretty easy when you think of it that way. That, that's not difficult now. And if you think about, just if you look at the first commandment where, where it says don't have any other gods I mean, one way that I look at it, this might just be a little bit of a stretch, but if you have some intermediary, someone else that you have to go to to access God, that would be like having another God uh, before the jealous God, and you're going to lose contact with God. You're, that, it, it, well, you think that it's okay to, to maybe you know, go through an intermediary who says, I have a direct access to God. You're giving up your access to God that God has already given you. And that's just uh, a thought. Uh, an essential uh, basis for our religious freedom is the Ten Commandments. Out of the Word of God, it, it's at the root of the Bible and what we believe. And if you go on into uh, the ministry of Christ, when he came, uh, as he set out, as he established his ministry from Luke four eighteen. I'm not sure if Luke 4, Luke 4, yeah, 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is a very, you know, well-recited, often-recited uh, text. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty. To proclaim liberty to the captives and, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The mission of Christ on the earth was to set us free. The mission of Christ on earth was based on our free will, our free conscience, our ability to make the choice to choose God over anything else. Freedom of conscience. Christ's ministry was was about that. Now, this is important. And it's something that's missed by the the majority of Christians uh, today. That the idea of you know, religious freedom and religious con- uh, religious freedom of conscience is from creation, okay, established. It was in heaven. Just think about it. How could Satan have rebelled if there wasn't religious freedom in heaven? It goes all the way back to, to the beginning of our relationship with God. But something that the Christian majority isn't getting is that even if the government were to stop protecting our religious freedom by its laws, by the Constitution by the First Amendment, if that was pulled away from us, if that was taken away from us, we would still have our liberty. That can never be taken away from us. And those Christians, sad as it is, those Christians who are being slaughtered around the world as long as they held on to what they believed, they didn't you know, compromise their beliefs, they didn't lose their religious freedom. They had their heads cut off, they didn't lose their religious freedom. I, mean, that's, I think they're missing that. Because the fear is, and the, and the majority of the fear is, if we lose our, our freedom that's granted by the Constitution, well, we're going to lose it all. And that's not it. If we don't depend on that, our freedom is a gift from God. Um, and things I, I would say today is, is that things are coming to a head. We're saying around the world, I mean, you hear this probably a lot in 
uh, religious liberty uh, presentations and religious liberty sermons that, oh, we've got to look out, we've got to be aware, things are happening, they're happening fast. But I'll tell you, I've done this for a long time, and I don't think of a time when it was more urgent than it is today. It's just, if you look at the, the slaughter of Christians and the idea that the two-thirds of Christians around the world live in, in, under governments that are controlled by a religious majority. Two-thirds of the Christians, mostly in Muslim countries, live under regimes that are, uh, that are Muslim religious regimes. <clears throat> They're in the minority. Consider what happens to minorities in, uh, where, where, where the majority religion is, is in charge, and that's what we see around the world today. Uh, the minority is going to lose out, but today it's even more than ever. The church really is under attack, and notwithstanding the, the reaction that we see from uh, the religious right reacting to the persecution, uh, it, it is still a war going on, and problem is Christians are losing the war, and this is our problem. Whenever the church, from the, the Jews in Christ's time and the church throughout history, Whenever the church was confronted with a war against them, a war that they felt they were losing, and they were losing their connection with God, they were losing the grace of God, they never hesitated to use the strong arm of the state to enforce their dictates, to enforce their decrees, to advance their dogma. Never hesitated. The war now that we see, okay, the war against Christianity is being lost, according to the Christians, to most Christians, is being lost, and what's the next step? And what are they doing? They are seeking to establish a form of government, the power of government, that will bring Christ back into their lives. They feel they're alienated from Christ because of what's going on, and in order to bring Christ into their lives, they need to reclaim our country for God. And that's their, their cry. That's their battle cry. Uh, I want to quote something from Ben Franklin that kind of touches on this. Ben Franklin, okay, found, sort of a founding father. He talked a lot about that time, and, and uh, he was quite the ladies' man, quite the traveler, but uh, <clears throat> this is a great quote. He says, When a religion is good, I conceive that it will support itself. And when it cannot support itself... And God does not take care to support it so that its professors are obligated to call for the help of the civil power. It's a sign. It is a sign, I apprehend, of its being a bad one. Okay? Good old Ben. Let's think that was, that's pretty dynamic, right? I mean, he's had it right. He knows. Uh, and and the, I would say today, living in the world as we do today, we're, we run a risk with, with what's going on and, and the... Um, how convincing some of these uh, evangelical speakers can be. They are powerful speakers. They have a huge megaphone. They have mega churches. And a lot of what they're saying makes sense. Okay? And it sounds good. A lot of it's powerful. But within that message, mixed in with that message, is a, a severe level of deception. And one of the biggest deceptions is that... Uh, they're going, to, they're going to reclaim this, uh, this nation in the name of God. They're going to create a, a Christian nation, which uh, that should be frightening to anyone who has strong, basic, foundational beliefs that they can't compromise. Because what happens with, with a, a Christian nation made up of evangelicals and Catholics coming together, all 
think about all the divergent fundamental beliefs that these different denominations have and what's going in order for them to achieve this goal some of them in the minority are going to have to compromise what they believe are they going to be in the minority and you don't want to be in the minority with this group okay so they're going to be asked to change what they believe, fundamentally believe uh, for, and listen to this, and this is, you're going to hear this a lot, for the common good. If you aren't willing to change some of your foundational beliefs for the common good, then you're going to create a problem with God, and God is going to rain down punishment on us because of you. And watch out for that phrase. You're going to hear that. You want, you know, for the common good. Uh, a couple of years ago, a year ago, I guess it was, when, uh, when the Pope visited here, went around and did his tour around the government and preaching to the United Nations and to Congress. Um, one of his, uh, I, I think, themes, basic themes, was about Mother Earth. He's concerned now about Mother Earth. He's concerned that, that we're you know, overpopulating her and we're, we're doing damage to her. And one of his suggestions was that we can alleviate and it would be God's command that we alleviate some of the pressure we're putting on Mother Earth. And we can do that by taking one day off. Just pick a day and take that day off to, to give it a rest, right? To don't do anything. Don't turn on your, your cell phones, your electricity. Just stop everything and think about God on that day and, and worship on that day. And you know what day the, that they suggested is, well, the one that's convenient. We already have a day that we've picked out. The day isn't you know, the seventh-day Sabbath, the day is Sunday that they have already in place. So what we need to do, you know, people, is, is to set that day aside uh, to, you know, give rest to the earth, to give rest to ourselves, and to, you know, give some allegiance to, to God at the same time. There's a fundamental problem with that. And, and I think it slips by us sometimes. Because if we are, it might be a good idea, okay? Here, here it is. It, it might be a very good idea to take a day off to rest for a lot of reasons. We know why you take a day off to rest because we want to commemorate our relationship with God. We want to reestablish that on a weekly basis. That's important to us. That is a fundamental principle we can't change. But if there's another day that's being offered, you can think to yourself, and you might even justify saying, well, I can do both. But the problem is you're creating this division between you and God, if you even do that, all right? You can't. You've got to stand up. And what you're going to do is stand up for your belief that you can't change your fundamental belief uh, because of the common good, and you're going to stand out, right? You're not going to be able to take that Sunday off. You're going to need to go out because you took Sabbath off and you worshiped on Sabbath. You have things you need to do on Sunday. And so you're doing two things that's going to uh, alienate you from the majority, you're going to not worship on their, on their Sabbath, okay? And you're going to worship on yours in, to them, okay? And what they see in the face of God, okay? You're going to be offending God if you worship on Sabbath. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? That's going to put you in, severely into the, into the minority. You're going to be the cause of the earth's woes. That's your fault. You've done that. You need to stop doing the Sabbath thing and come on over to us with our day of rest. Otherwise, God is, gonna, is going to you know, punish us with severe storms, super storms that we've seen already. You know, most of the signs and wonders have already happened, by the way. But he's going to punish us, and we're go it's going to be our fault. And so what happens if we are the cause of this? You know, not far away from us right now... In, just the other side of this earth are people being executed 
What I see from a Pew Research study, one Christian every five minutes is being put to death just for being a Christian. If they can do that there, how soon can they, this start happening here? How soon can they justify this you know, with horrible storms coming along? So what we're looking at into the future is, is uh, the, the believable, okay? Believable interpretations of doctrine. And, and the believable interpretations of, if you don't know history, the, the rewriting of history, the uh, reinterpretation of the Constitution. If you aren't aware of these things, if you're not alert to what's going on, you're going to be deceived. And that deception is dangerous. And it doesn't matter. Not all Christian doctrine is sound doctrine. Even if you hear something on, from a mega preacher, from a mega church somewhere, uh, very eloquently, okay, you're in a mega church itself and you're hearing a sermon being preached that is, sounds good to me. It is really inspiring. And in that, in that particular presentation, in that sermon, is going to be something that's true and something that isn't true. You can't be deceived. And the, the effort is to deceive all of us into believing that this is a Christian nation, that we have to do these things to reclaim this country for God. And that's, that is going to be the, uh, the essential doctrine that we're going to be hearing, and it's going to be subtle. Satan works very subtly. You're going to have some agreement with that, a little agreement with that as it goes on. Now, here's something that I think is troubling for me personally. <laughs> and you may not agree with this, but I do go along with a lot of the, that you know, the ecumenical work that they do. I believe on, on the moral work that they're doing around the country. I think that's good. I, I'm not going to argue against that. And some of their other doctrines, uh, I'm, I'm a Protestant. I'm a Christian. And, and some of that dogma, some of that teaching that they have is something I would agree with. But there's going to come a time, there's going to be a conflict that I'm not going to be able to agree. That's going to put me in the minority you know what happens to minorities where the majority is in charge, and I'm going to have to be ready for that. I'm going to have to take that stand, and I know what it's going to be on. The only way we're going to see a national Sunday law is through the force and the power of government. This is something that uh, Sister White and A.T. Jones, A. T. Jones uh, you know, were up against in, in their time at the turn of the last century, was this idea that, that we need to have a, a, a government-sponsored religion Right in this country. That's what this country was founded on. That's a battle that goes on today. And we're going to have to take that stand. We're going to have to make a choice uh, whether we're going to exer- we will exercise our will, uh, our free will to choose God and the Sabbath or face the consequences as the minority. We know what happens to minorities in a majority. Uh, and, and I'm going to turn to, to Timothy 4, 1 to 5 in, in parting. And this is, uh, I think, talking to us today, all right? This verse is talking to us right now today. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, it says. Okay, giving instructions for us going forward. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready in season and out of season. Why do you want to be ready? Because uh, you're going to, first of all, it's going to be you that's going to go out and it's going to uh, convince others you know, to, to join us, to be with us, be persuasive, convincing, be ready, be well-informed all the time. Be ready to exhort, rebuke, with all long-suffering and with all teaching, okay? And it goes on, for the time will come, and this is important, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. It's harsh. 
But according to their own desires, they're going to hear that says, because they have itching ears, they will heap upon for themselves. They want, they'll hear only what they want to hear. Okay? They have itching ears. They will up to, on themselves teachers. Okay? They will hear only what they want to hear. The doctrine that we believe is going to be determined to be unsound doctrine. And they're going to convince themselves and believe that their doctrines are sound. We need to be, okay, aware, educated, learned. We have to know what the history is. We have to know what the Constitution says. We have to know the importance of religious liberty. We have to have the correct definition of religious liberty, not what we're hearing, okay? Not what a lot of people are saying is the government hands down our freedom. It's from God and God only. And as long as we hang on to that strong arm of God reaching down for us, we can be assured that we won't lose that freedom. You know it when you see it. You know it when you feel it. Our fundamental religious belief to me is this day that we worship. And there's a strong likelihood in the not-too-distant future that we're going to be challenged on that. I I believe that from the deepest part of my heart. I'll tell you one thing. We, we, we look at it and say, well, it can't happen here. We don't see anything going on out there. There's no pending legislation except, you know, some of those things with prayer and school. Um, most of my, I, I'm an attorney, and for most of my legal career, 35 years, I spent defending lawyers for cases of legal malpractice. That was my area of expertise. Ethics violations and uh, legal malpractice. One of the most common ways that a lawyer was sued for legal malpractice was missing a statute. Different types of statutes, all right? There's different types of time limitations and and rules about when you file a motion and when you file a complaint. On every case you're handling, especially if you're in litigation, you're going to have statutes that you have to comply with and statutes change. And where the malpractice comes into this in many of the cases... It's where a statute has changed in the midst of a, a case that a lawyer is handling, but the lawyer doesn't know that it's changed. That the law was passed changing the time that they would have to file, maybe making it sooner in time, and by not filing on time, they lose their case. Laws can be passed that we don't even know about. It's subtle. I'm still barraged every day. I'm not even practicing anymore, and I, I get the, uh, the alerts and the messages in from all the various bar associations around the state of changing laws. It's, you know, thousands of emails a month come in reminding me and letting me know and warning me about changing laws and legislation. I wouldn't have picked up on that. If I were practicing, that would be a, you know, lifesaver to receive those. And a lot of, and with the magnitude of the changes going on, there are so many, you're going to miss some. Something's going to get missed and you're going to, for the Lord, you're going to commit malpractice. For us as Christians in this day, we're going to miss some rule or regulation that's going to, perhaps we're going to show up here at church one Sabbath morning and we're going to find a chain on the door we can't get in. And a paddy wagon out there to pick us up for being there. Or at least we're going to have to go home and worship at home with each other. And at some point, the jackboots are going to kick down the doors. We're going to have to find another place to worship. It's happened in history. And this persecution of Christians now, today, is happening in other places in the world. I sincerely believe that uh, these things can happen. They can happen... uh, there's no way for us to know when, okay? That's, that's not something we, we know. I think the best thing that we can do is know that it's about to happen, that by God's will, and I hope so soon, that Jesus is going to come, by God's will, we're going to see that, I think, in our lifetime. I pray that we do. Um, and the offering we're going to pick up now, 
is for to support our religious liberty program. You saw that the importance of the magazine that goes out to roughly a million different uh, influential leaders in our in our country, a million of them go out, hopefully more after today, uh, you have your uh, freedom bonds, you have your religious liberty bonds. They, they also go for uh, local work to uh, defend our members where they are fired or lose their job or risk losing their job because they can't work on Sabbath. This goes on quite a bit. A lot of our believers, a lot of our uh, church members face being fired, losing their jobs, losing the ability to support and feed their family because they want to keep Sabbath. They don't want to give that up. They can't compromise on that, but that's our religious liberty department. We have some excellent lawyers that, that will go out and actually defend cases and win. They're very good at that. And there's other outreach programs that we do as a, as a, as a community, a religious liberty community, uh, but I think those are very important. I think that offering is critical to support. They're, the offering is critical for us to stay alert. You know, those the laws that I was suggesting may be changing. Well, our religious liberty department is paying attention for us. And we're going to get a notice. We're going to get some warning of something that's changing, something to watch out for, something to pray for. We get that. So uh, it's necessary we have this, this uh, particular department for our religious liberty purposes. It's too bad we do talk about this only once a year. It's an ongoing process. But anyway, I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward and um, we'll pray for our offering. You, as far as, I don't know, I don't have it here. I did have it. But the, if you look at the uh, Freedom Bond, you'll see that what it requires that you do is you need a pen and you need a check, okay? Um, and, and what you'll do is you'll check a box here and for a donation for li- religious liberty. If you actually want a copy of the, of the uh, magazine itself, you're going to have to pay an extra $8. But you do need to make a donation to religious liberty of, it says here, $250, but there is other numbers there. But, you know, 250 is good. But you just check the box, and you'll uh, fill out a check, and you'll place the bond in the tithe envelope with your check. The bond will, you know, you have to fold it up a bit, into the... Uh, uh, into the tithe envelope and put it in the offering plate. The good news is we'll also be taking up religious liberty offering. We'll also be taking these bonds clear through February. So if you don't have your pen with you today or if you need to put more money in your checking account, uh, you have next week to do that and uh, collect offering that way. It's, uh, I think the time has come to really be serious about religious liberty. Uh, it's... Uh, uh, things are going on in the world that we need to know about, we need to be uh, aware of, and I just uh, hope that uh, God will touch your heart to be, to be sure that we support this, uh, this particular ministry uh, with all we can. All right. Yeah. Father in heaven, I pray that uh, you'll touch the hearts of our, of our members of our congregation today to, to give for religious liberty, to, to moreover understand the significance, moreover understand what, what's going on in the world today. And that we need to be alert, we need to be aware, because things are changing. And we know by your word that we need to stand by you and hang on to your word and uh, your fundamental premises that we believe in. And we can only do that through you. And we, in the meantime, we need to be aware and alert, and we can do that through our religious liberty program so that we can be disciples, we can evangelize and bring more people into, into your relationship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.